Well, good morning to everyone. Uh, well, we're going to continue our series in the book of Hebrews. If you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to take up the last two verses of that chapter. You know, as I was preparing this week and enjoying Thanksgiving with uh, our family and all of that, I was reflecting on how people really wish they could know the future, right? And you think of the amount of money that's spent at fortune tellers, the tarot card dealers. If you're looking to make some money and you're not a Christian, that's one way to do it, is to go to Balboa Park and uh, offer to tell people's futures or whatever. But people long to want to know the future, and especially their future in particular. And rightfully so, but I, I can tell you that our text today reveals your destiny. It reveals your future. Would you believe me if I told you that? It is true. You will die, number one, and you will either go to judgment or be saved. That is your future. All the other little stuff that happens in between is just noise. And if you think about it, graveyards are a good reminder of the reality of death. One of the things that's lacking in modern churches such as this, now there is a big dirt area that this church owns over there. I suppose you can make that into a graveyard. But one of the things that's lacking with most churches and newer churches is there's no graveyard, right? You might have a kid zone, you might have a coffee house and youth centers and fog machines and all of that kind of stuff. But usually these churches do not plan for a graveyard. And that's why in Europe you go to those older churches, there's the sacred church grounds and a graveyard there. And what's the benefit of having a graveyard nearby a church? Well, each week that you come and you're walking up that ramp, just assuming that would be a graveyard, you would remember Uncle Bill's buried over there and he passed three years ago. My grandmother's over there. She passed 30 years ago. And it's a reminder that I'm going to pass someday. And I, too, will be buried into the ground. It's a sobering thought to think of that. Death is a cruel reality, brethren, yet many people never think of it. They try to distract themselves constantly with other things so that they don't have to think about these things. The reality is, is that there's a 100% chance that you're going to die. One out of every one person dies, and we need to be ready. Distracting yourself with all of these distractions and a task of your daily activity is not going to diminish that at all. John Calvin said, and this is in your notes, there is an outline there in your bulletins, we may positively state that nobody has made any progress in the school of Christ unless he cheerfully looks forward towards the day of his death and towards the day of his final resurrection. Now, some might read that and say, well, that sounds just a little morbid, but you understand the, the greater picture. You understand the context, right? It's not that we're fearing death. We are longing to be rescued from this world that's filled with pain and sorrow and lament well let's read our text i'm gonna i'm gonna pick it up at verse 24 for us and read to the end of the chapter hebrews chapter 9 
For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often, as the high priest enters a holy place, year by year, blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we come before you and we ask that you would give us understanding into this text. Lord, that you would awaken some of us to the reality of death and to make preparations for that day today, not waiting until that day draws near. Lord, we do pray for our dear brethren who are traveling and and the many who are out sick. Lord, would you be with them? And uh, even as we trust they're tuning in on YouTube, Lord, would you give them just a mighty blessing from your hand and even a sense of your presence by your spirit. So, Lord, help us today to come to your word as eager students to learn in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Well, we've been in this book for over a year and a half now, and, and we know that one of the main things is Christ is superior. What's, what's the author's favorite word? Better, right? <laughs> better, 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 better. We have a better everything and a better covenant with the new covenant. Jesus didn't enter an earthly tabernacle because he was not a Levite, right? He enters the heavenly tabernacle of which the earthly tabernacle was patterned after. The writers made that clear already twice. And the language points to the superior nature of Christ's sacrifice. And and he's going to keep hitting this. We're rolling into chapter 10 next week. The same themes are there, but he's hitting it from different angles. And he wants us to understand We saw last time that he appears in heaven. Beautiful language there, right? That he appears in the presence of God for us. On our behalf, he appears there, interceding and pleading our cause to the Father. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture for us. And Christ's death was a singular event It's central to the Christian faith and the reality of Hebrews 25 and 26 as we saw last time is Christ did not need to be sacrificed daily, which is one of the reasons Christians stresses our Lord's final death and resurrection on the cross. We talked about the Roman Catholic Mass, how they're sacrificing every single day. No, once and for all, it is finished. Christ himself said that, and we need to believe it. And he put away, he annulled, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What does that mean? He took all of God's fierce wrath upon himself to wipe away all of that sin. Well, as we come to our text today, um, I heard of a popular senator that was elected into office and after one term was swept out of office to the shock of the the other running mate, and to his supporters. 
And when he was giving his concession speech, the losing candidate commented that the recent events reminded him of an epitaph he once saw on an old tombstone. And it read this, I expected this, but not so soon. I expected this to get voted out of office sometime. I mean, Joe Biden's been, what, 47 years with the government, but this senator had a four-year term and all kinds of favor. He did great and was voted out. And as we think of death being certain, it is appointed for men to die once. Each one would say, I expected this. We all know we're going to die, but some of us, not so soon. I mean, the Christian can face death. I mean, what did Paul say? For me to live is Christ. To die is what? Gain. It's gain to be in the presence of God, in the blissfulness of heaven, to be in his presence, to join with the anthem of praise of which we were called to worship today. A couple of pastor friends suddenly diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and died. Chris Beamer, of course, we prayed for much about a year and a half ago. And Pastor Gary Hendricks back in North Carolina was just just passed away about a week ago. David Paulison, the great CCEF counselor, same thing. It can come sudden. This diagnosis can come and you're not guaranteed to have five years of fighting cancer or whatever. It can take you quickly. Chris Beamer was two months from diagnosis to being perfectly healthy to dying. We need to be ready to die. And I know most of us are believers and most of us are ready. And there's a sense in which the dying, there's some fear, there's some uncertainty, right? And it's normal to have, you know, we don't want to all rush out and, and die necessarily. But at the same time, if we have the right perspective, and we can remember that when Christ appears the second time for salvation to those who eagerly await him. We want to be among those that are eagerly awaiting for Christ to come. Whether we're going there and we see him face to face or he returns. So we're going to look at this just under two simple points. Um, You have an appointment that you cannot cancel. Verse 27, verse 28, Jesus Christ will appear bringing salvation for his people. Very simple, straightforward. First of all, point A, your appointment with death is on a date unknown to you. Now, if I said all of you get your smartphones out, whether you use Google Calendar, iCal, and you start searching, Florence's death, it's not going to come up. It's not in the calendar that you know. But we know that there is a date for each of us, right? We just don't know when it is. And so it's an appointment that we cannot cancel. Now, looking at the text here in the uh, NAS, it's, it's and in as much, right? And then uh, uh, just as, I believe, is the, the ESV there. But it, context, it, it connects it tightly to the end of verse 26, 26b. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he's been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In as much as it is appointed for men to die once. It is a unavoidable, it, it's, it's something that is certain, something that is destined. The idea means to lay up, uh, to store for safety. That's the idea of this particular Greek word. It's, it's, so in other words, it's destined, it's sure, it's guarded, it will happen. 
It's appointed for men once to die. Now, I know the skeptic out there, I can't see where you're at, but the skeptic out there is saying, wait a minute, not every single person has died. That's true. Enoch and Elijah were taken up, right? And there was one man that died twice. You remember him? Huh? Lazarus, right? Not the Lazarus we read in our scripture reading, but yeah, Lazarus. Jesus had compassion and extended his life, brought him back after four days of being dead. But look, our, our author is speaking in general terms here. It's a reality that we will die. And we need to remember, too, that death is not necessarily from natural um, causes. Adam, our representative in the garden, plunged humanity into physical and spiritual corruption. Paul talks about this in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. But brethren, the good news of the gospel is that the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, he enters into our experience of death in order to put away sin once and for all. I mean, we saw it there in 26b, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, all in Adam, as in Adam, all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Now notice the word once, if you've been paying attention Throughout our series, you, you see um, the, the word once or sometimes once for all, right? Uh, there's two adverbs in the, in the Greek, and the writer uses both of these. And for example, the intensified form that has epi in front of it um, is the once and for all. That's 727. Look at 912. Not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered a holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. We'll see it again next week in 10.10 as well. But he also uses the less intensified one in 6.4.9.7.10.2. We'll see it. But notice in, in chapter 9 here, it occurs in verse 26 and verse 27 and verse 28. He's emphasizing something here. Once at the consummation of the ages, right? Christ put away sin. Once every man will die, and once Jesus will return a second time in regards to salvation. But Scripture speaks much to this idea of death, our lives, right? We're from the, made from the dust, we return to the dust, right? Just a sampling, Job 14, Job 14 verse 1 and 2. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers and also flees like a shadow and does not remain. Later in verse 5, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you in his limits you have set so that no one can pass. You know, the psalmist says man is a what? Mere breath. A mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. So we're reminded in Scripture the brevity of life. We may be young and strong today, but very quickly you get old like me and you feel it, and then you even get older than my age, and and, and, and time flies, doesn't it? It really goes by quickly, and the older you get, it seems the faster it goes. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3.2, there's a time to be born, 
and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to be uprooted. Later in 320, all go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Remember the rich man sitting back, eating, drinking, being merry in Luke chapter 12? What shall I do with all my wealth? I know, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. Remember that guy? And what does Jesus say? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be now? Let me try to drive this home. You know, if you have a dentist appointment or a doctor appointment, you can call the number and you can, you know, I'm going to cancel that, push it out a couple weeks. I'm going to be on vacation, right? We're, we're so used to being able to do that. But, but you cannot cancel this appointment. It's not if you die, it's when you die, right? You can't distract yourself so much that you can try to keep it out of your mind, but you can't escape the fact that you will die. Furthermore, each one of us knows, we've talked about the conscience, remember earlier back in uh, around 9-11 there, the conscience tells us there's something deep down within us that we know we will give an account for how we lived our life, right? The Bible, your conscience, and plain old common sense tells you that when you die, you will give an account for how you live. Would you agree with that? Yeah. You know, uh, the way homes were constructed many years ago, um, over 100 years ago, what was that front room called? The parlor, right? <laughs> the parlor. And what was the parlor? It was a small sitting area near the entry. The parlor was used for receptions around former family occasions, such as weddings, births, and funerals, right? And... You would also, if grandma passed away in the house, you know, you would lay the body in that room. And you can picture the little grandchildren coming in from playing or waking up in the morning, and there's a body laying in there. It's a reminder that we are all going to die. This is before the era of nursing homes, and so the blessing of this is that if somebody was dying, family could be there with them and be near to them. And... and Grandma might be in there for a couple of days until the funeral uh, is held, or at least a day. And then, of course, what do we call that room now, Kathy? The living room. Notice how we <laughs> The living room. But, and also another thing, too, we, it, it was much more common when you would remember somebody after they died to call it a funeral. And I'm not saying... I've got a big grudge against celebrations of life, but what we've done is we've kind of take away the mourning and we're just we're celebrating at these various events. The Bible tells us, let us go to the house of mourning rather than celebrations. So funerals are a vivid reminder that death is coming for us all. Another advantage, of course, as I already said, is that loved ones could be around you as you're dying, right? And that's something in the COVID-19 era right now that so many are deprived in these nursing homes where no family's allowed to get in. In a hospital, no family's allowed to get there. And these people are not only dying, 
but they're dying in utter misery because they're not allowed to have family nearby. I am so against that. We've been praying for Gary and his wife, and um, Kathy uh, was supposed to, they were supposed to go visit him on Friday, but then there became a COVID case in the Veterans Hospital, so now they're not allowing any visitors. The wife has got cancer in another facility, and they haven't even been able to see each other for how long? A couple months? About a month. Husband and wife separated, both ill with their own issues, Parkinson's and cancer. They can't be together. I know there's safety protocols and that kind of thing, but at what point do we make these rules to where these people that are in the last months and years of their life are in agony because they're separated from the people they love the most. I say bring back the parlor. I say bring back that whole idea. Our family just had a stark reminder of death. Um, My mother-in-law's cousin, Gary, who has been on Zoom calls every week with my wife and the rest of the family from around the country, um, just last week, he was on the Zoom call, spunky, healthy, 87 years old, Friday night, vomiting uncontrollably. They didn't know what was wrong. Took him to the hospital. Overnight, they discovered kidney failure, and he was dead by Saturday noon. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody saw it coming. Death is real. There is an appointment. No one would have known that Cousin Gary's was yesterday. Secondly, brethren, in the second part of the verse, when you die, you will be judged. Look at the verse. Inasmuch as it is appointed to men to die once, after this comes judgment. Literally, after this, judgment, okay? Now, you have to understand the force of that word appointed or destined, that you have this appointment, carries through with this. Just as surely as you will die, just as surely you will be judged. The psalmist says in Psalm 9 and verse 7, the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment and he will judge the world in righteousness and he will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. Brothers and sisters and friends that are visiting, death does not end your existence. You have an everlasting soul. When your body dies, your soul lives on. God breathed life into mankind. And you have a soul, a consciousness beyond your physical body. Well, what about reincarnation? Is there any hope of that? Okay, well, dying's not so bad if you know you're going to come back as something, right? And these Eastern religions teach that, you know, you either come back as, a, as another human, <clears throat> or if you lived a bad life as a, a lesser creature, or if you really did good, you come back as a sacred cow, you know? And uh, that's, that's really sad. People believe that. And there was a, an old Fox News poll that said 25% of Americans believe in reincarnation. Now, that is just baffling to me. Look, man is destined to stand before Christ. I was thinking of Matthew 25, the separation of the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes with the angels, right? And he separates the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left, right? That's a vivid picture of what's coming. When Paul is preaching in Mars Hill there to the most intelligent philosophers of the day, he said in Acts 17.31, 
because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. This is the one, the one that was risen from the dead, the one that died for unworthy sinners. And it's Jesus himself who will judge you. Right? We have imageries of the great white throne judgment, but we also have Christ's own words in John 5, where he says, Truly I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted to the Son so to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, that an hour is coming when all of the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There's something about our New Testament scripture reading, right? The rich man and Lazarus that tells us our destiny is irreversible. You know, you have these reversible jackets. You can have blue one day and green the next. You, you can't decide that I don't, I don't like this, you know, that we see the rich man in torment. Charles Spurgeon says, a man dies once and after that everything is fixed and settled and he answers for his doing at judgment. One life, one death, then everything is weighed, and the result is declared. After this, judgment. Christ comes. Christ dies once, and after this, for him also the result of what he has done, namely salvation to those who eagerly await him. The very end of Ecclesiastes for God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, I understand the teaching of hell is not popular. The teaching of heaven and hell should be both shared and equally proclaimed. But I have an obligation to tell you the truth. I don't want anyone here in the sound of my voice to end up in that place of everlasting torment. You will be judged. You will give an account for every idle word that you have spoken, every evil thought. The books will be opened. God does not forget anything. So the hope is in Christ alone, resting in his finished work. He's determined the number of days you're going to live. You can't add to that. You can't buy more on Amazon or eBay. It is fixed. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, In your book were written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. For the saint, this is comforting, right? Because we, we can just go through our life, we know, well, if it's God's will that we get slammed by a semi and lose our life, that was God's will that that would happen today. Uh, but we don't need to fear that because we know who's in control. Henry Martin, the great missionary, uh, uh, has said this, if Christ has work for me to do, I cannot die, <laughs> right? If God, if God still has work for him to do, there's no way he can die prematurely from that. Stonewall Jackson, he says, I feel as safe in the, on the battlefield as I do in my own bed. You know the story, he would be out there with bullets going, and, and they said, General Jackson, you you should really take better care of yourself or take cover. He said, I feel as safe on the battlefield as I do in bed. 
So don't worry. You will not die before your appointment. And if you're in Christ, you have much to look forward to. This appointment with death and judgment, but Jesus Christ, our second main point, will appear bringing salvation to his people. This is a blessed good news. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Christ suffered only once to bear sins. So in this way, as it says in the NAS, it connects it to verse 27. It's destined, it's appointed. You will die, you will be judged, but so too Christ's second coming will happen. And it's a very beautiful parallel here, and I want you to get it, between what we do and what Christ does. We die once and come to judgment. Christ dies once and later will come to save from judgment for his people. This idea here that Christ also has been offered once, it's in the passive voice, which means the idea that the action is coming from outside of him. And some say, well, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say, no one has taken my life from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative? Yes and amen, but I think what this speaks to is that it indicates that this is something that he was destined to do in the covenant of redemption and the plan of the triune God. He was destined to offer himself. It was a covenant amongst the Godhead. And then to what? To bear the sins of many, to to take away those sins. And and notice, uh, to bear the sins of many. Some think that he's got Isaiah 53 in view here, as it says at the end of that prophecy, that, that he saved many. So look, the whole incarnation was for the purpose to bear sins. It was so much more than being a good teacher, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, right? All of that is in in view uh, that he came to be a moral teacher or whatever, you know, as some say. Those are good things, but there's so much more. He came to die. And as we enter the Christmas season, we need to remember that. He didn't come to be a cute little baby in a manger. He came to die to live a perfect life, and to die a substitutionary death on our behalf. And he became the curse-bearer. He took all of God's wrath upon himself. Well, secondly, under this head, Christ will appear a second time, bringing his blessings to us in the fullest measure. Literally, uh, uh, it, it says in the text, to appear a second time without sin. That can be confusing. Right? Because, wait, did he come the first time with sin? He's coming this time without sin. So the NAS helps and suggests without reference to sin. Actually, um, let me see. Yeah, the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible makes it a little clear. He will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are eagerly awaiting for him. So his second coming will be without reference to sin. Because all of his work of bearing sin was completed on the cross. Even Jesus can't add to the finished work that he accomplished in his first coming. It has been completely put away. The appearing will be most obvious to all. It won't be in a corner to two or three that are gathered. What does it say? Revelation 1.7, Behold, he's coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. I don't know what this is going to look like, you know, but 
every eye around the globe somehow will see him. I mean, that's fascinating. That's something to pray and to meditate upon. <clears throat> it's something to, to actually think about. Now, you may have noticed last week there's, there's three appearances of Christ. The writer uses uh, the word um, appear in verse, first of all, in verse 26. It's on earth to put away sin, right? And so we see that there. And then we see in verse 24, he appears in heaven, cleansing it. Look at verse 24. But he enters into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he appears on earth to lay down his life. He appears in heaven. And now, and finally, in verse 28, he appears the second time to bring salvation. His first coming came to bear sin. A second coming is not a second chance for some. He is coming for salvation. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm already saved. Yeah, you're saved. You believe by faith your sins have been forgiven, right? So we believe that. We have joy. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside. So we're saved, but there's so much more that awaits us. Salvation to the fullest when we see him face to face. I mean, Paul uses that language of even the Holy Spirit's given as a pledge. It's like an engagement ring. It's a promise. It's a down payment. But it's not the full measure of when we will see Christ face to face. When he returns, brethren, all the benefits will be ours to the fullest measure. And that hope that we have helps us to endure and persevere in the trials of this life, which are many. So he will appear to those who eagerly await him. This is a, a, a dense word. Uh, it's intensive. This life is hard. There's much sadness. There's much pain. We have little snippets of joy, little snippets of happiness, right? But let's face it, this life is hard. In this world, you will have tribulation, Jesus says. And so we wait for final salvation. We're eagerly waiting for final salvation. Paul uses it three times within a few verses in Romans 8 there. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 23. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we eagerly await for it. What are you waiting for? That promotion? That winning lottery ticket where you don't have to work again? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Are you eagerly awaiting Christ? Now, there's another nuance here, and we've talked about that whole tabernacle scene, right? Chapter 9, we went into it the beginning of chapter 9 we went into it in detail um, even the first covenant had these regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary and remember by now you know you had the holy place you had the holy of holies the whole outer court and all of that on that day of atonement right that high priest would go in with blood not his own had to offer blood sacrifice for his family and for himself and then for the people but when he went in there all of israel was eagerly awaiting is he going to come out? That's why they, 
tradition says they, they had bells. So as he's moving around in there and splashing the blood and seeing the Shekinah glory of God between the cherubim and all of that, is he going to come out or is he going to be struck down dead? Because that would happen sometimes. And so the, the idea here is that the crowd outside is waiting and seeing, is he going to emerge from the most holy place? He's in God's presence right now. There's a great anticipation. Will God accept the offering? Will we be okay? And so too, we in the new covenant are eagerly awaiting his return to affirm, or, or that will affirm his sacrifice has been accepted and the force of sin has been decisively broken. So let us be those that eagerly await and long for him. Oh, when the wind's at your back, like it is now for me, the wind's at my back, you know, I'm being propelled along, things are going good, we're healthy and all of that. Okay, maybe we're not, but God is faithful to bring those difficulties, faithful to bring those trials, those interrelationship conflicts, the trouble in the workplace where you're being blamed for stuff that you haven't done, even for students. I mean, he's faithful to bring all this stuff to shake our world a little bit to where we're like, this is not my home. I'm longing for a place where there'll be no more of that garbage. So in summary, if you missed anything, Christ's high priestly ministry has been fully affected as death occurs once and leads to judgment, so Christ's once-for-all death is followed by his return to bring salvation to those who await him. Well, a couple of concluding applications. First of all, if you're here and you're outside of Christ, this is a timely warning for sinners who are without Christ. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to face judgment? Old Testament Israel, rebellious, and, and Amos there, and the, the prophet speaks, and you had dry teeth, and he dried up the water, so famine, and no water, and all of that. And even in that book, says there's a famine for the word of God. But in 4.12, he says, prepare to meet your God. If there's any here today, I pray that you would do that. Remember the senator who was voted out of term. I expected this, but not so soon. It could come at any time. And today in our culture, in Hollywood, movies, shows, people in the marketplace, people especially in universities, there's an arrogance towards the afterlife. There's a denial of any afterlife. And this comes from a staunch rejection that there is a God of which we will all give an account. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They know that there is a God that they will stand before someday. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Just thought of a particular verse that would help to drive this point home. Romans chapter 1, of course, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, down at the very end, 28 to 32, he lists all of these vices, all of these sins. Men will be slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, without understanding, untrustworthy, un unloving, and all of that, and many more. And last verse, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Deep down, they know those are wrong. There's something wrong about that. Those that are outside of Christ, you're in a fearful condition. 
it's chapter 10 of verse 31. We're going to get to it. It says in Hebrews, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And you know, as you get older, you can only suppress this truth to some degree, but you know that grim reaper is coming after you. Death is coming for you, and you need to be ready. Another tombstone epitaph said this, You as you are, I once was. As I am in the grave, you will soon be. But when God begins to work in the heart of a sinner, and when he's beginning to awaken the, awaken the, the heart and the mind and dropping the scales from the eyes, what happens? A person is seeking that, that something's not right here. I need to know this God. I need to know more about him. You begin to feel a heartfelt sorrow for all the innumerable actual sins and thoughts and words that you've committed. You begin to grieve over being without God and not knowing Christ. It's, you, you begin to think and, and you're reminded that you can't break off sin because you have this original sin within you and you're shackled to your sin. And how deep the fall of Adam was. Your entire heart being corrupted. But that sorrow now becomes a burden of sin that's too heavy to bear. And because you find it, it impossible to get to God yourself. But crying out for hope and deliverance from God, he takes that burden off, just like he did with Pilgrim. He begins to change your heart, take out the heart of stone and put it in a heart of flesh. Begins to give you understanding. So now when you read the Word of God, it makes sense and it's coming alive. The joy of the Holy Spirit comes and you are converted. It's a beautiful thing. So don't be discouraged. You know you're not a Christian. There is great hope. The door of mercy stands wide open today. We didn't sing it today, but John Newton's wonderful hymn, Day of Judgment. See the judge, our nature wearing, he took on flesh, clothed in majesty divine. You who long for his appearing, then shall say, this God is mine. Gracious Savior, own me in that day for thine well christians need to have the right perspective on death j.i packer has said this plan your life budget for 70 years understand that if god if your time proves to be shorter that it will not be an unfair deprivation but a rapid promotion some christians may be frightened of death there's different deathbed experiences some are terrified even though they're truly in christ Others have complete confidence. John Piper said, death is still our enemy. He sums this up, that truth up. But it is defanged. The viper's poison has been drained away. The deadly sting is gone. The sting of death was sin. And the damning power of sin was the demand of the law. But thanks be to Christ who satisfied the law's demands. If you've trusted Christ, that sting of death is gone forever. You've been set free. That is cause for praise and adoration to our God. Matthew Henry said, death to a godly man is like a fair gale of wind to convey him to a heavenly country. But to a wicked man, it's an east wind, a storm, a tempest that hurries him away in confusion and amazement to destruction. Someday, we're in Christ. We're going to wake up and be in the celestial city. 
the beautiful analogy of Pilgrim's Progress, as they approached heaven and they're talking with the angels. It states there in one of the last pages, you are going now, said they, to the paradise of God, wherein you shall see the tree of life and eat of its never-fading fruits and be with your Savior. Jesus took away the fear of death. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. But again, one last plea, if you're outside of Christ, you know your sins haven't been forgiven. Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost. If you will but repent of your sins and turn to him, he will save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the sobering passage uh, that we've had before us. Lord, we pray that none would leave this place without knowing you. Pray that you would work in the hearts of each one here. And Lord, for those of us that are in Christ, that we would long with great anticipation to see our Savior face to face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.